But anyway, there are things we have to do in life that are unpleasant, like that, and following the Lord and seeking to put in perfectly. So these are part of those things. So he talks about putting on and putting off the old man, uh, which is being renewed. Now uh, there is uh, then he goes into the the uh, barriers, if you will, the, the parameters. The, the, there's no distinction. We talked about that ahead of time as well. Greek and Jew, uh, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all in all. Those distinctions uh, that they cease to exist in the Christian faith. Uh, we don't make those distinctions, at least we shouldn't. I had someone mention that there are churches that still make racial distinctions. And I suppose that's true because the man is depraved. And wherever you find the depravity of man, you'll find the display of rebellion against the Lord, the display of pride, and those kinds of things. So now let's look at verse 12. This is kind of the second half. The, the outline in the bulletin points out this is this. I've entitled this. The instruction for the new man, uh, areas of uh, spiritual application, if you will, reads as follows. I'm just going to read the verse 12 to 14. It says, so as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and graciously forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. Above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. There's the verse. I didn't pray, so let's pray now and then ask God's blessing on this time. Dear Father, I really thank you for your mercy and your grace. It was mentioned earlier that some of the things we were looking at dealing with the Christian life gossip and impatience and things of this nature hurt and it is true that i see in those things areas of growth uh areas of need uh things that we i think we were using the term little sins anything that's a sin is serious and i pray you'll help me and help us to take these little things seriously and uh actually we should welcome the pain of being reminded of things that need correction in our lives because they help us to grow in a closer relationship with you. And that is the relationship of joy and uh, the overflowing pleasure. And I, I have experienced that as well. So I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to open your word here this morning. I pray that that is indeed what will happen and that in spite of the limitations of the speaker, that you will speak, your word will be clear, your spirit will be working in our hearts, have free reign in our lives, and that Jesus Christ would be honored and glorified. And so I ask the and help us to accomplish um, in a good way the application of the process of putting off the old sinful, self-indulgent, prideful man, and putting on the new life that is created in Christ uh, that gives us that full knowledge and that renewal, that relationship that is that is vibrant and that walks close to you. Help us to know that both in the mind as well as in the experience and help us to be pleasing 
to you. It's, it's really, really important. And um, I pray that you'll help that to be applied, especially effectively in my life, because it's not. And so I pray that you'll make out of me and make out of us people who look more and more like the Savior who gave his life for us. And so help us to do that. I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks, Amen. Starts out there with what I call in the text the reason. It just says um, we, we 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 see him there uh, telling us to put on a heart of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, so on and so forth. And the question is at the beginning of the verse says kind of gives us the reason why this we are to do this. He says it's so as the elect of God, in other words, because we are the elect of God, holy and beloved, we want to do this. We want to begin to look more and more like the Savior and to be more pleasing to him, to look less and less like the old self, the self that is, was in Adam and look more and more like Christ. And so this is, this is really important because we are the elect of God. I don't know of any subject that I, especially in difficult times, enjoy thinking about and talking about and sharing with each other. It's God's sovereignty, the fact that God is sovereign. It is, uh, I think it was Calvin who said, uh, it, the sovereignty of God is a pillar to the suffering saint. And uh, I can understand that because it tells us that whatever pain, hardship, or suffering you're going to, if you belong to the Savior, that is appointed, it comes through the loving hand of Almighty God. The good illustration comes to mind is the silly root canal. Uh, it's really, I know it's nothing. My wife has had root canals, and it's, it's it's no more pain to her than if she were to eat a hot dog or something like that. <laughs> She's a lot stronger than I am. But it's, I've been through having all kinds of stuff done in my mouth, and uh, I, I know it, there's no pain involved in it, it's just in the mind. But you still recognize that this is a path that God has for you to walk down. And uh, no matter what happens, if I end up dead or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's in God's hand. And that's a comfort to me. If, if, I, know, if, if, if I know that God wants me to take this, uh, then it makes it a lot easier than for me to wonder. I wonder if God wants me to take this or not and be shattered. I, if, if I know this is what he's doing, then I have a comfort. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a peace and a comfort uh, there, and so I'm very thankful for that. And uh, to be honest, um, so the surgeries, I guess you, as you get older, they become less significant. The surgery on my knees, both of them were very, uh, the surgery, the process was pleasant. It wasn't, I had, in, in a funny way, enjoyed it. The, the physical therapy that comes after that was somewhat stressful. But it really wasn't that bad. They, I was at the Mill, Mills River Lodge, and uh, they were very good to be there. And they would come down, and we would. There were times we were on a machine, we were trying to stretch, and, and it was really hard like that. But it was about four or five minutes, maybe ten minutes, and then you're up doing stuff that's easy, walking up steps and stuff like that. It's not hard, and that kind of thing. It's not hard. So, but it's it's a uh, it's a pathway that we walk. There's suffering. There's difficulties. There's hardship. And yet, in the middle of this life, and all the pressures, and all the uncertainties, and all the relationships that we have, 
God is bigger. And he's in charge. And in spite of the fact that we may not see it, he never makes a mistake. No. And when things happen and they seem to appear to be devastating to us and bad to us, um, that's because our perspective is limited and God's perspective is not. And he really, really, really is in charge. And he really does have everything under control. And it's easy if we can just cooperate with him and really seek to follow him and to honor him. And that's what we want. We want to honor him. <clears throat> There's not much honoring in, in getting root canal, but there is honor in going six or eight months without a well and knowing that you don't have water. That's a hard thing to go through. That's a hard thing. You got yourself and your family members and others that, are, that people are depending on. And it's just really very tough. And I know that. And it's uncertainty as to whether to dig the well or crack it or whatever. A lot of uncertainties in there. And so I appreciate your witness. It was a good witness to me, and I appreciate that. And um, we we have that. The, the fact is that the reason that we suffer and go through these things, first of all, is because we are God's chosen people. We are the elect. That's what he says. <clears throat> Ephesians 1.4 says he chose us in him. We are chosen by God in Christ. And um, <clears throat> there's many passages. I won't read them all. Tell us that this choice was made a long time ago. In fact, uh, it says my text says it was before the foundation of the world. If you build a house, the foundation is not the attic. The foundation is the bottom. It's the first part. Most important. It is. It really is. And when he talks about the foundation of the world, he's talking about the universe and the establishment of the stars and stuff like that. And the the uh, all the laws of physics and chemistry and uh, the laws of life, the different kinds of life. They even when they went down to the very depths of the ocean, like they had before now the Titanic found life down there and fish and other things that were functioning, and they had pictures of some of them swimming around they didn't even know existed. And it's really very interesting that um, all of these things are part of the handiwork of Almighty God and His greatness, and that He is He is in charge of these things, and um, that He has chosen these, and He's put these there to reflect Him. And so as the elect of God, the chosen of God, God did these things and is doing these things before He even formed the universe. He had everything. I always like to think of, and this is kind of a crass way of thinking, but I think of it as the Trinity sitting down at a big drawing table to lay out the plans for the universe and the stars and the galaxies and the earth and humanity and animals and other things. And they had all these things in place and planned. Uh, and then in six days, he created it. Um, there was no need for a second attempt. There were no prototypes to see how it would work out. Or evolve it as you go. What is that? Or evolve it as you go. Yeah, that's right. Or evolve it as you go. There's none of that. Everything was planned. Even we find out in other verses that I'm going to be reading, the putting of the names of his chosen elect down in the Lamb's Book of Life. That was written before the foundation, before the earth was founded. 
the guy looked at me. You got to be some kind of a significant God to know these things, to write these things down, and to put these people down and have them come to know the Lord through all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of relationships before even the universe was created. It's, it's, he is so magnificent and so astoundingly great and awesome that it it boggles the mind to even think about it. We we can't. We try to stretch and we can't. We we end up sort of mumbling like a like an idiot trying to describe it, and we can't. He's too great for that. But he has everything under control. And he wrote my name down. Now, I've often thought about this. Suppose my mom and dad gave me a different name. But he did. He was in charge of that. He does it. He has everything lined up. And so it's 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 astoundingly magnificent. And so he's we're chosen. We're chosen by him. Um, we're beloved by God. Uh, Paul talks about it as um, in First Thessalonians, knowing brothers, beloved by God, your election. That's that word election is the word for choosing, God choosing you. We have this big debate about voting rights and uh, talking about whether we should have a identification for voters and things like that. But we take very seriously everybody that wants to vote should be allowed to vote. What about God? <laughs> His vote will outlast and outweigh and outvalue ours. And for what he votes is what is the one vote that really matters. And so here is this this picture of God being God who elects his his children. Titus, who was a Gentile, Paul was writing to Titus. And when Paul wrote to Titus, it entered the beginning of his letter, he said, Paul, a slave of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect. And I think one of the reasons he mentioned reminds that him of that is because Titus was a Gentile, and yet if you're part of God's children, you're part of his elect. He's chosen you no matter what, whether you're elect, whether you're a Gentile, you're in his, his family. And so he's done that. Peter, in his epistle, First uh, Peter 1, uh, he says he, he writes to those who are, reside as aliens. Uh, They're scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then he identifies them all as the chosen. And uh, they're according, chosen according to God's foreknowledge. Let me say something about that while I'm doing that. I'm going to up here. Um, we have a, a misunderstanding sometime of the idea of foreknowledge. We think that, that God knew because he's God and sovereign of ahead of time and what was going to happen, who was going to do this. God knew that. And so he he worked his plans out to make them coincide with uh, the fact that we would come to know him or we would do this or we would do that. And he chose us according to that knowledge. That is not that has not that is not an accurate understanding of that. In fact if we did that and we said that then we would be taking God's sovereign purpose and letting it, uh, making it conform to our activities and our decisions, and that what we decide, God said, okay, I'm going to ordain that that way. Uh, but what it means is that God's in charge, and the reason, the reason that 
the reason that he can say um, this person is going to come to know the Lord is because he has worked in their hearts and lives and opened their heart to give them faith and help them to come. And so his his foreknowledge is not is not according to man's decision, but man's decision is according to God's plan, God's foreknowledge, and he works in that. That's why it's so hard. It really is hard, and and it looks like it's not fair. It looks like that God is is uh, holding us accountable for something that we we have no say so, and yet we know from the scripture we are accountable, and we do give account for our life. Judas is the example I was thinking about earlier. Is that the Lord gave Judas different opportunities and reminders of the gravity of what he was going to do, and yet we, we mentioned here this morning that the the success of the sacrifice of Calvary depended on Judas betraying and fulfilling the scripture. And uh, Judas is accountable to that. You can't, you can't back off from that. And the same is true with us. Um, we are accountable. And so uh, when we talk about God's foreknowledge and God's greatness, it, it, is, not, it is not so much that God knows what, and I don't even like to use that phrase, you know, God knew this was going to happen. The reason God knew that was going to happen is because he's behind it, he's doing it, he's in charge of that, and he works. Uh, and he's He's pulling the, the necessary connections and doing the necessary things and working in the hearts and allowing us an uh, awful lot of decisions like Pharaoh hardening his heart. A lot of things happen <clears throat> because we just naturally have a hard heart. And we do, when God lets us do what when we do naturally, we, like Pharaoh, harden his heart and refuse to let him go. So, God is in charge. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm, I'm trying to point out here. And so that was one of the big things um, that we see here. Um, Paul says to Timothy, says, do not be ashamed either of the witness about our Lord or be his prisoner. He's talking to young Timothy, but it is easy for Timothy to be a little bit concerned because he's following Paul and Paul is being slandered because of his stand for the gospel. He says, don't be ashamed of us or, or me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. And by the way, just in passing, isn't that a strange request? That we would be challenged to be willing to suffer for the gospel, which is a message about the Jewish Messiah who suffered and died on the cross. That's a that's a harsh message. And we're told that that message is the power of God unto deliverance. And we ought to be willing in, in promoting that message to be willing to suffer in order to promote it and to pass it on to others. Um, there's work involved in that. There's effort involved in that. There's hardship involved in that. And... Uh, Yet it's, it's the best thing we can do. We can if we can make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that will change their lives forever. And I'm not talking about just changing society. I'm talking about changing people's lives. So they're changing their direction, their passions, the miracle of the gospel being performed in their lives. And so uh, the, the the text here in that I'm reading in Second Timothy one is that they, he Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, "Join me for the suffering of the gospel according to the power of God." Who has, watch this, who has saved us and called us. So we are called. We are called with a call that he calls a holy call. 
that's a calling that is holy. It is not according to our works, but it's according to his own purpose. He's called us for his own purpose. Romans 8, 28, you probably can repeat it by heart, but we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. We call to his Amen. You're right, brother. So uh, let's just uh, we we we're told to put our faith and trust in him. Um, he's called us. Um, he showed us in him before the foundation of the world. This is Ephesians 1 4, that we would be holy and blameless before him by predestining us to the adoption of sons, to be his sons or to be like him. So he predestines us. He's, he's, he's ordained that we path, follow the path of being like his son through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, if, if, if there's one word in that sentence that I really like, it's the word good. Because this is a good thing that he's doing. This is a good thing that follows um, his will, the pleasure of his will, what he desires. That's a word that speaks of royalty, that this is the pleasure of the one who's on the throne. It is a good pleasure, and it's the pleasure of his will for us. And it is destined, in verse 6, to be to his praise, to the praise of his glory, the magnificence of his grace. And so these are superlatives that describe the greatness of what he's doing. And I know that this is a, a, a lot that we're digging into, but I just want to mention those things. Um, God has revealed his goodness to us. We are his chosen. We are his elect. And uh, he says in this text, um, because we are the elect of God is the way that I translated it, holy and beloved. Holy means that we are set aside. Uh, he chose us, but he chose us to be separated from sin and self-centeredness and chose us to be unto himself. He's called us unto himself. That's what the church is. It's called out. Those that are called out from the world to God, called to himself. And so the divine response, he says in this, in this, this text here, is... Um, that we are chosen, we are called, that was what he said in Ephesians, shows us again before the foundation of the world. And it's a gracious choice, it's a merciful choice. And we are to be holy, we are to be set apart. Um, so the word saints that's used a lot in this New Testament is the word the holy ones, you know that. And so he says, we've set apart from the world um, all who are beloved of God, we're called saints. The translations are there to talk about that Paul said he was he was done. There was much harm given to him, um, and to the saints in Jerusalem. It talks about ministering to the saints. It talks about uh, Saul, who locked up many of the saints in prison. Just what I'm saying is that the saints refers to holy ones, refers to God's people, and that's the way he said that we are we are called to be separate from sin. And set apart under God. We're chosen. We're chosen for Him. We're chosen to be holy. And the last word, and we'll stop here, is the word beloved. 
Um, it's actually for the good could translate, I think it's agapao, it's uh, for the, the word of being loved. And uh, we are, as we started out at the beginning this morning, we are those who are loved by God. Isn't that good? <laughs> I mean, the God of the universe, the one who sat down at that design table, the Trinity, and designed everything. They were the only ones who had the power of being themselves. Nothing else, everything else is created. And yet that one loves us. We are holy and we are beloved by him. He chose us in him. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and we would be blameless. That's that passage in peace that we've been looking at. Um, Matthew 6, but says, no man can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or devoted to one and despise the other. We've got to choose, and that's what he's saying here, to be loved, love one and not the other, to pursue the master, to pursue the Lord, to follow him, because it's his, his uh, calling. So the verse is here, and I'm going to, first I'm going to stop, but the first half of that uh, gives us the reason why uh, and I just, I know I believe that a little bit because I think it's important that we are, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, called to put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And we'll look at those things next time. That, that, that's really important. We have a lot here. And uh, really, I think it's, it's um, I think it's a privilege for us to think about the greatness of our God and the greatness of his word and what he's done and who he is and who he has to work with, namely us, and how he works with us patiently and is long-suffering. Um, he's just, he's really, I'm just very, very thankful. And as I told you earlier, that I, the thing, that, one of the things I enjoy, which took time to really enjoy it, is the quiet time of studying about these things and learning about him and uh, seeing him reflected the bible is referred to in the scripture among other things as the mirror and as a mirror you look into the mirror and see yourself and god's word um, reveals god's will and god's purpose and god's standard to the believer to us and when we look at that it shows us the, the areas of our life that need to be corrected we talk about you know standing in front of the mirror and doing stuff you face. The Bible says, "Don't be a forgetful mirror. Don't look and see all these things that need to be done in your life like you're looking in the mirror and saying, well, worry about it, walk away." Well, do you good? But you pay attention and you let God's word do the work that the mirror does to show you what needs to be done. And uh, that that's really very good good thing to do. It's a good habit. Let me pray with you, dear Father. Do thank you for. Um, your mercy and your grace and for the beginning of this second section of the instruction and the fact that you have called us and you expect us because we are your chosen we are holy we are beloved you that we need to practice these things we need to put, take these things seriously lord i i'm sorry that that i don't respond any better than i do and i know all of us have that hesitation because we do we we do live for self we are very self-centered and very stubborn at times and uh, i pray that you'll help us to more and more to more and more to increase more and more in the likeness of our lord 
and to honor him, serve him, and that he will be first in our life and in our walk. Thank you for this time. And I pray for these. We were, this morning we were kind of depressing in a way because there were people we were praying for that have had some real struggles. I just pray for these struggles and for the people that we love and ask that you would be working in their hearts and that you would be honored and you would be exalted and you would be glorified in these situations and give us wisdom to know how we can come alongside and how we can be involved in these lives and help correct some of the issues that need to be corrected. And so to your glory. And so I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.